Hey, it's Keith. If you're a lover of audio drama like I am, you need to know about the Apollo app. Apollo is designed around audio drama, so finding your next story is easy. You can always listen through Apollo for free, but there's also the Apollo Plus subscription. With it, you get ad-free listening, exclusives, and other bonus content for over 40 shows. And 70% of the revenue on Apollo Plus goes to those creators. Join Apollo Plus through the Apollo Podcasts app or apollopods.com. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Timms, writer and podcaster, creator of the Book of Constellations. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about the show, their methods, struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of The Chronicles of Wild Hollow. In a far-off place, an endless forest grows, sprawling, barren, impenetrable. But beyond the tree line, creatures roam free. A land where adventure lurks around every corner. A land where legends are made. A land called Wild Hollow. The Chronicles of Wild Hollow is an anthology fantasy musical created by Shouting is Funny, a production company formed by Christian Pausland. Harvey Badger, and Angus Maxwell. Wild Hollow is a fairy tale world populated by talking animals like you might see in The Wind in the Willows, but the series freely mixes in more grown up themes into its stories like adventure, danger, satire, and self aware jokes. It's also a musical featuring two or three original songs in each episode. The Chronicles of Wild Hollow produces trilogies of stories around a particular protagonist. The first trilogy features the mouse Fandango Borsen, a gritty, streetwise, pistol-packing bounty hunter. In the first episode, titled Fandango Borsen and the Lilypad Lounge, Borsen investigates a new club whose guests seem hypnotically drawn to it night after night. I spoke to Harvey, Christian, and Angus remotely from London. Would each of you tell me a little bit about yourselves in terms of your history as an artist and a creative person? Yeah, my name is Christian Powsland. I am a co-writer on the show, and then I'm the sound designer and lead composer as well. I have been based creatively in music for the longest amount of time. Both of my parents are music teachers, and Mm. so it was kind of impossible to grow up and avoid being musically interested and musically inclined. Learning trumpet and piano and singing, that sort of developed into a little bit of songwriting and being interested in that side of things. And then while I was in sixth form, that was sort of when I really started getting into acting and doing the school the school musicals we did Sweeney Todd and Jesus Christ Superstar and so when I left sixth form I auditioned for drama school and didn't get in for two years of trying on my third year I got into a school called Rosebrewford College uh, in London which is where I met 
these lovely gents, Harvey and Angus. So I'm Angus Maxwell. I'm a co-writer on the show as well. And I started quite similarly to Christian. My mum's a music teacher as well. So music was thrust upon me as a young child, but I was a bit more reluctant than Christian. I was taught clarinet from quite a young age and I was very, very reluctant to play. I really, really didn't enjoy it for the first few years of playing. And then as I sort of progressed through school and college, I was also in productions like Christian. I was in Sweeney Todd too, Christian. Hey, look Um, at that. Getting towards the end of college, I was kind of directionless. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I I, I sat down and thought about it with my mum and I was kind of pressured into sort of going along the conventional route of university. Um, But I I just realised that, you know, academic work particularly wasn't for me. So Mm -hmm. I I thought about it and I thought about what I enjoyed. Yeah, I just just realised I wanted to to do this. I was lucky enough to get onto the Rose Bruford Acting Musician course where I met these two wonderful fellows. Thus began Shouting is Funny, our, our um, audio production company. That's my cue. Uh, yeah. uh, I'm Harvey Badger, uh, co-writer as well as the other two. And um, I also do all the concept art for the show. So we have uh, character images, cover art, things like that. And I'll call myself secondary uh, composer. I yeah, throw in do. a Please couple do. of songs here and there. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be a very similar story to these boys. But yeah, a creative family as well. Really supportive. I always wanted to be a painter when I was a little kid Mm. or an illustrator. I wanted to make children's books, which is funny how that idea has sort of come back round now that we've started on on (laughs) this series. Um, But yeah, I I wanted to do that really drawing. And, you know, I I was probably the easiest kid. I think if um, you sat me down with some bits of plain paper and some crayons, that would be me taken care of for the whole afternoon. We did Romeo and Juliet when I was about 10 years old. And it was a musical of Romeo and Juliet mm. written by, I think, BBC Education. You, um, <laughs> The school sent off and they basically got a, a CD come in the mail and a right. script that they would photocopy for all the kids. And um, I just realized that actually singing in front of people was probably the most exciting thing that I'd ever done in my life. Mm. And it just stemmed from there, really. We had a very musical household. My parents love music. I think I had a tutor at college that just said, go to Rose Bruford. You need to apply to this school. And I was like, oh, what's that? And, um, and then I found it, ended up ending up there. And while we were there, even more doors opened, you know, things like radio and audio drama and mm-hmm. these, these things that we'd never really even heard of other than, you know, the Archers on Radio 4. So you all met at university. Tell me about that meeting and, and how that evolved. So I... I- must admit, I can't remember really the first time we all met as a three. I don't know whether either of you can. I mean, I think the first time we were all in a room was in the first week of uni. And, you know, it's drama school and it's taken us all a few years to get there. And it was very emotional. And then you're surrounded by actors and other dramatic people. So my first memory of us all being in the same space is probably all sat around in a circle weeping with the rest of our class um, at the prospect of three years of doing this thing and you know that was very much encouraged by a lot of our tutors uh, for better or for worse but I think uh, we were known around the school as quite a particularly emotional group of people Every, every week there seemed to be someone experiencing some kind of trauma or something fueled by drama school didn't it it's like, that's yeah. the kind of thing you well felt. i mean that's the nature of the beast isn't it i mean I, that was me too right we're all emotional people so yeah i suppose that, that's what that's what draws us to the uh to the craft i guess mm. but i mean very quickly I, I i seem to remember us pretty quickly sort of forming a a, a unique kind of trio of, of like friendship i guess and I suppose it was it was bolstered by our 
very quick apparent love for uh, radio drama. I remember basically the beginning of our audio drama process was all crowding into Christian's dorm room whilst uh, in our first year of drama school and quite literally having no planning prior to hitting the record button, <laughs> just just kind of shouting into the microphone. And for some reason, and, and don't ask me why, we all absolutely loved it, didn't we, boys? Oh, it's just the most fun thing. I think that's, you know, us coming together as three friends was probably just because you were the two people that made me laugh the most out of everyone that I met. <laughs> and I think that was reciprocated probably to the annoyance of a lot of our lecturers. Um, yes. We couldn't quite stop ourselves. So um, we were sort of encouraged to just, you know, go away to the dorm room and, and let all that energy out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally. I think we have an uncannily oh, similar sense of humour, which I think is why collaboratively we, we seem to work so well and are able to bounce ideas off each other so cohesively. I, th- I think it's really interesting you say that because when we first all appeared at drama school, it was, it was quite apparent that we got on very well together in terms of like sense of humour. But looking at it now, looking at that point like four years in the past compared to now like our, our sense of humors have kind of like grown <laughs> with each other you know what i mean they've like developed and we've kind of know we or know deteriorated exactly, or deteriorated yeah. one huge <laughs> awful beast has yes. emerged from that <laughs> questionably funny <laughs> that well, that's going to be our second company name <laughs> <laughs> obviously you all graduated um what kept you together so we graduated in 2020 so we we were released into the creative industry in the midst of COVID and the pandemic. Mm. Shouting is Funny was absolutely born from a joint need for the three of us to still want to create and make something. And because we'd had this prior experience of diving into my bedroom and creating random audio drama stuff, we realized that that was something that was still in some way, shape or form, a capable way of us creating whilst we were in isolation and separated. And the the company was more of a a requirement for all of us to kind of keep sane. Mm. That's a good way of putting it, isn't it, Christian? Because when you graduate from drama school, it's like three years of build-up to a climax of bursting out into an industry which is like full of the thing you absolutely love and when that's snubbed by a an event such as the pandemic you're you're like left with all this like creative energy yeah it's great to have that focus you know something to oh it sounds so dramatic doesn't it something to get out of bed for but it, it really was at a point yeah, especially in one of the yeah. lockdowns you know like the highlight of the, we were you know either we were living off the end of our student loan um, yeah. that we you know hadn't needed to spend because we were all locked down or we were on furlough from our various sort of Saturday jobs, you know, working in restaurants and pubs and things that were all closed. So the only thing to sort of get up at 10 a.m. on a Thursday morning was to have a Zoom call with these guys with a hot coffee and create some stories and have fun and make each other laugh. So you started Shouting is Funny, your your company, and you started making your show, The Chronicles of Wild Hollow, as your first project. It's really an interesting concept. You know, it's part satire it's part wind in the willows it's part fantasy it's part crime drama talk to me about how you guys decided to create this particular world and start telling these kinds of stories i remember right at the beginning of one of the lockdowns harvey messaged the group chat and he was he messaged something saying i've just i've just had this dream and he sort of sent this like it was just like a section from like a novel or something of a mouse pursuing some baddie across a cliff or something like that and then we were like oh my god 
this is <laughs> this is genius. And I think I think you ca- I think Harvey came up with the name then and there. It was Fandango Borsan, and it's such a <laughs> such a bizarre, fantastic name. And we were just like. <laughs> Yeah, like yeah, of course, of course, this is what we should do. <laughs> so we had this running gag of just uh, finding the weirdest, funny names for pets or animals that we could. <laughs> you know, that sort of silliness is what spurs on all sorts of our ideas. But yeah, it, it was a bit of free writing. Um, I think I was just so bored, and um, yeah, I think the boys just latched onto it, and it just flew from there. Really, what about this idea stuck with all of you to make it turn into a whole show? I think. Fun. Go on, Angus. If you got, yeah, I was just going to say Fandango Borsan is a funny name, but um, maybe that's maybe that's not. Maybe that's honestly not, not a serious answer, man. I'm, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just. I'm just yeah. <laughs> I think honestly, when when something does make all of us laugh, we can kind of kind of trust that it's it's a half baked decent idea. So then everything, everything else from Wild Hollow grew from that kernel of an idea. So hmm. it was a mouse, and because it was a mouse, therefore all the other characters were going to be animals as well. Wild Hollow is, would it be fair to call it an anthology? It's going to be a, a series of stories set in the same world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first is three episodes of the story of Fandango Borsan, who is a mouse bounty hunter. But for all the world, he seems like a noir detective, even though he specifically says <laughs> in the first episode that he's not. And uh, the first episode is uh, Fandango Borsan and the Lilypad Lounge. What makes you so suspicious of this glitzy joint? Well, at first I thought I was being bitter, you know, hijacking my business and all. But then stranger things started happening. Folks I spoke to said they couldn't get enough. Like they had to go back. They was drawn there. Change of scenery? But it's more than that. Uh, Fat Percy stumbled in here the other night. Uh, I hadn't seen him for days. His wife said he'd been there the whole time. Well, he was out of his mind, muttering all sorts of mumbo-jumbo. What was he saying? You can ask him yourself. Billy Bob pointed to the end of the bar. A pile of clothes with a dusty fedora sat in the shadows, snoring gently. Slowly, the hat lifted, revealing the sweaty, disheveled face of Fat Percy. It's like he's stuck in some movie. Clearly, you guys are having some fun with the noir genre here. Yes, we are. Um, (laughs) Borsan is uh, recruited by his friend, the bartender, to go investigate a new club that's opened in town, the Lilypad Lounge. There, he meets Madame Marlowe, who is our femme fatale, and I, I think I got the tip of the hat to Philip Marlowe there. Excellent. And then, of course, he also meets Martha the Waitress, who is the good girl that we often see in film noir. Talk to me a little bit about why you wanted to do a little satire of film noir here. To start with, using these sort of set genres and these uh, recognizable tropes or structures was a way to tie in some of the more irreverent and odd things that we were throwing at the project whether it's the characters or the names or things that we wanted them to do, if we could hang it on something recognizable, almost something so recognizable that to do it seriously would feel like a shame because a, a pastiche or poking fun or you know trying to be clever um, <laughs> would have mm. felt like the way to go about it. I, I mean, in the, in the genre of noir, there, there is so much to, to play off in terms of uh, I, I guess sat- satire and comedy, especially if you're sort of doing it a bit a bit tongue in cheek. 
I think quite early on, we sort of knew that we wanted to try and jump around a few tropes, a few different genres and pastiche opportunities. Is it fair to say that other episodes won't necessarily be satire, but you still may be playing with genres and tropes and things like that? Oh, definitely. Yeah. A lot of what we do is less hitting the nail on the head as the Lilypad Lounge being a noir episode is. That was very much more of a heavier satirical approach. Some of the humor you guys put in there is really funny. I'm, I'm struck by the fact that the club turned to all black and white except for lipstick. You know, um. <laughs> say you all frogs, like the workers here. All frogs. Madame Marlowe likes to know she can trust everyone. Marlowe, what's her story? Yeah, you're gonna have to buy another drink if you want to keep asking questions. I'll get in trouble. Fandango knocked back his scotch placing a crisp hollow dollar bill beneath the glass as he slid it back across the bar towards her, lacking any subtlety. Why would you get in trouble? What's going on in this place? Martha glanced at the note, then slid it back. Save your cash for the taxi home. I prefer to walk. Well, walk away. I've got nothing for you. I ain't a snake, but I can tell something's got you rattled. Take your questions elsewhere before you get us both mixed up in a cocktail of bad news. (laughs) <laughs> that's classic noir pattern there yeah we were pushing each other i think we were who can come up with the the most pastiche noir line and we would yeah. just keep pushing and throw yeah. another until it got to a point we're like no you can't put that you that's can't ridiculous do that. The dames, <laughs> that didn't the dames. That didn't, yeah <laughs> as much as we could shoehorn in um again it comes back to that thing of trying to make each other laugh at the same time you know yeah. we decided we're gonna create this world these episodes and take it seriously, or as seriously as we can, to create a product that we're really proud of. And it's part of why the company name is kind of important to us as much as anyone else, because it's a little reminder that we need to be making each other laugh at the same time for the work to continue to be at the level that we want it to be at. People assume that play is frivolous, but I don't think so. I think play can be very serious. Serious not in tone, but in commitment, right? A hundred percent. But speaking of maybe a little bit of the serious edge of this, the motivation of Madame Marlowe is interesting to me. She's got this plot to try to control the people in the city with this mind control sludge. And the reason she does that is is a kind of racism. It's um, discrimination against frogs who are considered to be ugly. And she actually talks about Borsen for having backwards, small-minded views. You see, there's a certain reputation attached to my kind. Frogs have been discriminated against for years. Slimy, disgusting. Now isn't that unfair? Isn't that wrong? I think so. So I'm going to change everything. Madame Marlowe smiled darkly. I'm going to prove to the world that we are beautiful. Talk to me about why you wanted to use that as the core motivation for your villain. I think it's... Really interesting not to just write a bad guy as a bad guy, you know? It feels like the character becomes, albeit we're writing about talking animals here, the character becomes more real when their motivations are real and relatable, you know? I think, you know, you talked about having Fandango being called this, you know, small-minded or backwards. And he's the, you know, the archetype of all the stories and films that we've seen, you know, over decades and decades um so that's the convention so having something that is directly trying to oppose that convention and where your hero maybe isn't your hero for a moment 
or your villain is speaking sense. I think those are the questions that we should kind of be asking all the time. I want to talk about the fact that you are choosing to do a musical. Now, I understand that that's your training and you have background in that. You're the first audio drama that I've interviewed that is actually a musical. Um, and I, I also know that musicals are a ton of work. Talk to me about <laughs> why, uh, uh, why you um, wanted to go down that road. It was kind of never up the question that there would be music involved in, in this as well. Mm. And at least initially, n- none of us were aware of what that actually entailed <laughs> workload wise. You have like two original songs in every episode or something like that? We, that- two minimum. Uh, we aim for three. There's only two in that first episode, I think. Yeah, I think by the end of the Borsan trilogy, we were kind of locking in more to a structure that we really liked. And we like to try and get three in if, if possible. But yeah, it, it's it's absolutely chock full of music and songs. And I don't think we'd have it any other way. I, I personally just absolutely adore that it's it's infused with this stuff and it gives me great joy. But it also gives me endless <laughs> sleepless <laughs> nights. Um <laughs> <laughs> just just putting it all together it does take a ridiculous amount of energy and, and time yeah i think we found a new recruit in you my little furry friend do you think you'd bring this to an end sorry to disappoint I think when we were uh, starting out deciding that, you know, okay, let's do an audio drama and let's uh, use all the skills we have in our tool belt, we just sort of threw everything at it. We're like, okay, what are things that we can do that maybe other people that are doing this uh, don't do in theirs? And so music and songs, compositions, like that had to be part of it. It's why we have illustrations as well for an audio drama that's a completely, you know, our old <laughs> medium, but we've got all these Ill- images that you can check out if you want to, to give depth to it. And we have that because we can, it's something that we have as a trio that we can pull together. What makes a good musical number? It's got to have a hook. Yeah, for yeah. me, it has to be catchy. You catchy. have to be yeah. able to hum it when you leave. You know, so many musicals, you're in there in the theatre and you're watching it and you're engaged and you're like, oh, this is a great story. And I'll, I'll leave and I'll be walking down the road and I'll go, oh, I couldn't hum one of the songs in that show. It doesn't matter what you're saying as long as it's catchy. <laughs> <laughs> so the emotional content, the lyrics, none of that. Oh, all backseat. No, 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 no. no. no don't, don't be silly. No. no. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think if, you can, if you can write a song that someone comes away and A, kind of remembers how it goes, but B can sort of be along for the ride, get a sense of the message or the what you're trying to convey in that moment of the story. I think you've I think you've ticked all the boxes, and that's what we try and do. So, thinking about doing your work and doing your art, what do you struggle with, either personally or creatively? I can get stuck on um on an idea, you know, after the initial excitement has worn off, and maybe you've done a draft or you've done a couple of drafts, and you know you need to do more and and you get a bit caught up in your own thoughts on it. 
And that's something that I've sort of noticed as I'm learning my process as being a writer that, that's popping up. But I think what's actually lovely about doing this show is that um, that's okay because there are two other writers who mm. can carry you through those moments. And, yeah. and it's almost like we never get stuck because we've got three brains to try and fix one problem. I'm probably the least experienced writer out of all three of us. And I feel like when you're new to a, a field such as that, it's always quite daunting. Uh, I found myself stuck a lot of the time because I was like, in my head, I was like, oh God, this doesn't sound good at all. This, this, mm. uh, how am I going to impress my, my fabulous colleagues who are you know, so distinguished? Um, <laughs> once you realize that you've got two other people with you who are also your best friends, the, the pressure is like really lifted. The other thing that I do struggle with is all three of us, we've all got like full-time jobs. Mm -hmm. A lot of this process, now we're out of the lockdowns, is taking up all of our spare time. And that, that's not an issue because we really, really love to do what we're doing. But it is just such a monumental task that there is just such a craving for like wanting to just like sink your teeth into this all the mm. time. You know, when you're, right. especially when you're at work, you know, I, I work behind a bar and there are, so, there are so many moments when I'm just pouring the 700th pint of the day that I'm just like, oh. I could be in a studio with my with my colleagues writing something amazing. But you're right. Work-life balance is yeah. tough. Yeah. Um, yeah. Christian, what do you struggle with? I find my meticulous nature incredibly frustrating at times, especially when it comes to the sound design specifically. It's a vast amount of work and it, it is, it falls to me to do it. And I adore doing it. It's, I haven't done sound design before Wild Hollow and I've found something that I absolutely love. So it's not, it's not an issue, but I find myself listening to five, 10, 15 different versions of the splat sound effect that Slug Hunter's going to make. That will take me 15 minutes. It'll take me half an hour to work out exactly what the right noise is. And then I realize it's half one in the morning. Alongside what Angus just said, the work home life balance is currently a bit of a frustrating one because it is exactly like this is what we want our full-time job to be like we would love this to be our actual job and not just a an absolute labor of love i think it takes a bit of time to to realize that you know on, on your journey like of deciding that this is the thing you want to do this is what you're going to commit your time to you know career mm. or whatever you call it and it, it takes a while to realize what success means to you being able to do that thing and survive off it and do the next thing that is success and i think it it can take a lot of time to to realize that this is my next question is how do you measure success you want to stick by that harvey yeah being able to do the things that make you happy and not be stressed about spending time doing those and not something else so that you can live comfortably i think the healthy way to look at it is success is being able to do the thing that i love and not have to do something else to support me doing that as artists and creatives, it's very easy to tie in your success in work to your success and happiness in life. You know, talk to an actor at a party, say, how are you doing? And you go, oh, yeah, well, I had this audition and I'm in this thing. It's like, no, how are, we, how are you doing? That's work. But also life yeah. happens outside of that, too. We've got a really wonderful fan base who who are constantly showing their support to us just to see people being grateful and like the occasional sort of, oh, I love when Fandango shot that dude or... Or something like that. It was just like, it just, it really uh, makes you feel like people are actually listening and um, it feels good to be recognized, I guess, in terms mm, of, in yeah. terms of that thing. But I mean, also measuring it on how much fun you're having. And I mean, we have so much fun, so I guess we are supremely successful. <laughs> Hell, <laughs> Hell yeah. yeah. 
Christian, I know how much work goes into this show from all three of us and more, everyone who gets involved in the show. But I think just having a final product, a final episode that you can hit play on and sit back and just listen to it for 40 minutes and just be like, yeah, we we made that. That's an absolute success. What are some lessons you have learned along the way about creating audio drama that you can share with people who might want to create their own? I would say one thing that we came across and kind of kind of got it right by the end of the third episode in the trilogy was episode structure. And we really realized that the extent that you can go to with audio, the assistance that you can give to an audience member in guiding them from place to place and these elements that you can utilize in audio drama that we literally just didn't know. None of us have really, we've said we haven't really come from any kind of audio drama background. So we're stumbling across stuff all the time. Not holding back behind a mic, I think. It's such a simple thing. And, you know, any real professional actor with experience will, you know, if they heard this, be like, yeah, of course, that's (laughs) the first thing you've got to do. But not limiting yourself by your surroundings. You know, the amazing thing with audio drama is that you can just close your eyes and imagine you are anywhere. And I think that has to come in at every step of the creation process as well, is remembering that what you're making has the potential to just be limitless. And you can tell your story and give it so much more depth. And that is in the, the performance as well as the, the structure and the writing. Writing's difficult for me, basically. And I'd spend so much time second guessing myself, I guess. And uh, I, I, think my, I think my advice would be to, to people who are new to the field, just, just put the pen to paper, write some stuff down. It doesn't matter if it's crazy or it doesn't make sense. You can always redraft. And especially when you're working with other people, you can always just develop stuff. Don't be too precious about what you're writing because the likelihood is the first thing you write down probably won't be the final product, you know? And yeah, be bold in terms of your writing. Don't be afraid of sounding too bizarre or anything. Push it, you know? You can always pull it back if you push it too far. Yeah, I would say as well, like something that we have wonderfully stumbled across is collaborative creative process. If Mm. you are considering doing something like this and you are currently a one person team, consider collaborating. Look for people who might be like-minded and might be interested in doing a similar sort of thing because it's been formative in what we've created. The story of Artemis Grey is going to be launching soon. When will that go live? Late May is the hope. It's sort of barreling towards being finished, but there's a huge amount still to do. So we don't want to nail down an absolute release date. And then what's next after that? Well, we do have an overarching idea for this batch of wild hollow uh, stories so we've had our first two trilogies there will be a third trilogy which will look at a third protagonist and as we sort of go through these narratives we'll notice that things from stories that maybe we've heard before start chiming back in and connecting no wild hollow children's books coming oh i, I, mean, I mean we'd love that <laughs> <laughs> if we can get some money to make some children's books hell yeah i'd be down for that That'd be my childhood dream, realised there. I mean, the scope of what we want to do with Wild Hollow and Shouting is Funny goes way beyond audio drama. The sort of fantastical nature of what we make, we think would really lend itself to some sort of animated format as well. So long-term goals, who knows? Like, world's our oyster, if that oyster contains huge amounts of money. 
The band sprung into action and a crowd excitedly hurried onto the checkerboard dance floor. Welcome everybody to a special night. Have we got a show for you alright? Grab yourself a drink and settle down. Relax, you're in the swankiest club in town. Don't believe us, suit yourself. Feel free to have a search around. You'll never have a better time than here at the Lily Bag It's a lot of work to write a musical and even more to produce it and record it in one's spare time. But the work pays off in Wild Hollow. It's a fun fantasy world with a lot of development, sly stories, funny moments, and toe-tapping tunes. It's also a good example of how collaboration multiplies talent, a valuable lesson for the indie audio drama scene. You can listen to The Chronicles of Wild Hollow on most major podcast platforms, or see our show notes for more information. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All the opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them, and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. If you want more information, want to sign up for our newsletter, or if you're an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, visit our webpage at thefirstepisodeof.com. If you like down-to-earth sci-fi audio drama, check out my show, The Book of Constellations, wherever you get your podcasts. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time. I know you got questions about him. Where did he come from? How did he do all those things they say he did? Was he a terrorist? Was he crazy? Was his skin really blue? Well, I'll tell you what I know. I was there with him, driving through the back roads under the stars. I was witness to wonders and miracles, and to the darkness that's coursing through the veins of our country. He came to fight it in his own strange way, but no one leaves that fight unchanged. Not even Rael. People ought to know the truth. And I was there. The Book of Constellations is a down-to-earth sci-fi road trip. It's audio fiction, and you can find episodes at bookofconstellations.com or wherever you get your podcasts.